5: The following podcast contains dramatizations of actual events. Certain situations, dialogue, names, and locations may have been changed. Some scenes are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised.
6: The Freeman family looked as perfect as a postcard. They would play together. They would go to church together. They would do yard work together. It was a tight-knit family But when they become teens, the older Freeman brothers begin to break bad. They're wearing the black boots, they're wearing black coats, they've got the heads shaved, and of course they're huge. Their parents try desperately to save their sons, but no one can keep evil from entering their home.
0: They hit him so hard that the blood spurts out of his body
6: and goes up to the ceiling. And in a final twist, once unleashed, their evil proves contagious.
7: He said, I'm going to do this, too. And I want to be famous for it.
6: The town of Salisbury sits just outside of Allentown, Pennsylvania.
8: Salisbury Township is like any normal suburban community. It sits close to Allentown and Bethlehem. But it's a normal, traditional suburban community. For years, Brenda and Dennis Freeman have raised their three boys,
6: Brian, David and Eric, in a cozy house on quiet Eretz Lane. They lived about halfway up the hill and their home was similar
9: to other homes in the area. It was a brown split level home, above ground swimming pool and clotheslines in the back and bird feeders out front.
6: The morning of February 27, 1995, was unlike any other on Eretz Lane. Dennis's sister, Valerie, hasn't heard from the family in days.
7: Valerie Freeman was a little concerned about not being able to get a hold of her family. She went to the house on Eretz Lane. Valerie saw that Dennis's truck was still parked in the driveway, which seemed odd, because he should have left for work by then.
10: She tries to open the front door, and it's locked. She walks around to the back, finds that the sliding door in the back is open, and when she steps inside, it's deathly silent. Quiet in the Freeman house is so unusual, it's downright eerie. First, she goes to her brother's room, and she looks in, and there's just a a scene of unbelievable horror. He's lying there in a pool of blood. She then went
9: to the next room, which was Her youngest nephew's Eric's, and found him in the same
10: condition. Father and son have been bludgeoned to death in their own beds. She runs out of the house, literally screaming murder. She runs to a neighbor's house and calls the police. When police arrive, they case the grisly scene.
6: And deep inside the house, they make another horrific discovery. They go downstairs and they find the mother. Brenda Freeman
0: has been stabbed... Viciously, she has been
6: bludgeoned. She is in a pool of blood. Three members of the Freeman family have been murdered in their own home. Investigators soon learn that there are still two members of the family unaccounted for.
10: There are two more members of that family. There was Brian and David, the teenage boys. They searched the rest of the house looking for them, but they were nowhere to be found. Oh, There's something else unsettling.
0: Behind her, very ominously, are swastikas on the wall. Somebody had drawn swastikas. You would have thought that it was a Jewish woman who was killed by Nazis.
6: To police, this triple homicide seems like an obvious hate crime, but they're wrong. They will soon learn that there is nothing simple about the hate behind this crime.
10: Dennis and Brenda Freeman always put their family first. Dennis was a custodian at the high school. Uh, Brenda was a a stay-at-home mom. They would play together, they would go to church together, they would do yard work together.
6: It was a tight-knit family. Small-town America is filled with church-going
10: families, but the Freemans were slightly different from most others. One thing that did make the Freemans a little bit different from their neighbors was that they were Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are a Christian church like lots
6: of others in America. Its members read the Bible, have faith in Jesus, and believe in heaven. It's in their religious customs where they diverge from the mainstream. They have some unusual practices such
9: as not celebrating holidays, not celebrating birthdays being restricted from voting and restricted from serving in the military. Good
6: afternoon. Recruiting new members is a priority for most witnesses.
7: They would go door-to-door to, door to talk about their religious doctrines and distribute Jesus literature.
2: We just wanted to come in and share some scripture with you today.
8: But I, I do remember their younger brother, Eric. Uh, he was friends with my younger brother and had given him pamphlets or talked to him about the religion.
6: Outside of evangelism and active membership recruitment, witnesses mostly keep to
10: themselves. Jehovah's Witnesses have a lot of rules that other Christian sects don't have. They're not allowed to socialize with anyone who isn't a Jehovah's Witness. It's never easy being different when
6: you're
8: just a kid trying to fit in. Brian, I remember in middle school, he used to wear suits to school. I can't remember any other student wearing uh, a suit to school, so no, I would say that that wasn't normal.
7: If you're actually going to a regular school, but you're not allowed to do things like go to dances or even socialize with people outside your religion, you feel ostracized, you feel set apart.
6: After years of diligent practice, The lifestyle begins to wear on the Freemans' two older sons, Brian and David.
10: Brian and David grew up. But unlike most kids, they grew up to be huge. By the time they were in their early teens, they were both taller than six feet, weighed more than 200 pounds.
7: David and Brian became adolescents. And then they began to act out. They began to want things that some of their friends had that are usually prohibited by the Jehovah's Witnesses.
9: Brian and David just stopped going to church and uh, started just hanging out and doing things that their parents did not approve of.
6: It is difficult to stop these now very big brothers. Brewing with teenage angst, Brian Freeman takes pen to paper to vent his anger at his parents. My parents were devout Jehovah's Witnesses and were very strict.
1: I was submissive to this until I turned away from my parents and began living my own life. From then on, I went to war with
6: my parents and everything they believed. Now well into high school, their behavior goes from bad to worse.
7: As Brian and David got older, they began to drink, to smoke, to take drugs, to do things their parents didn't want them to do. The more they rebelled, the more belligerent they got, the more angry they got. And then this became a power struggle between them and their parents.
6: It doesn't
1: matter what we've This is all nonsense.
6: Such anger and resentment is incomprehensible
10: to their devout parents. Dennis and Brenda couldn't understand what was happening with Brian and David. It, it didn't compute.
0: As these boys continued to rebel with this kind of behavior, their mother is driven up
6: a wall. She doesn't know what the heck to do about this stuff. In addition to
10: their parents, the boys select another target for their anger. Their youngest son, Eric, had remained devout member of the church.
7: Eric was obeying the rules and, and doing what the parents wanted. So they would resent him for that. They would resent him for being his parents' favorite, which clearly he was and literally hate him for not doing what they're doing and siding with them.
6: Brian and David are moving at speeds too fast for their parents' church or school to handle. So Brenda and Dennis do what they can to
10: seize control of the situation. Their parents had them both committed for substance abuse and for mental problems. David spent a month in 1991 in a place called Reed Shelter Care, which was for substance abuse. And Brian was in a mental hospital in 1992. It isn't long before Brian pushes back.
0: While Brian is in this mental institution, Dennis visits him, and he attacks, he physically attacks his father.
10: They got into a fight, and Brian separated Dad's shoulder. I then got up,
1: and proceeded to pummel him repeatedly with my fists. He then spent a short stay in a hospital. I am glad I did what I did, and if I could do it over, I would do the exact same thing.
10: The thing with institutionalizing the Freeman brothers is it didn't work. They went in angry, and they came out angrier.
6: the Freeman brothers will soon find
10: a fellowship of hatred. They channeled all of that anxiety and fear and anger by preaching an us versus them mentality. You wanna be in an army? We're an army. It won't be
6: long before the boys will finally slip from the fold and inspire evil far and wide.
7: I wouldn't see this as a copycat. I see it more as a contagion.
3: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
5: Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
6: For teenage brothers Brian and David Freeman, faith and love have given way to anger and rebellion. They got into a fight, and Brian separated Dad's shoulder. And they will soon be seduced by a sinister new world.
7: As Brian and David got older, they began to drink, to smoke, to take drugs. And then this became a struggle between them and their parents.
6: Brenda and Dennis commit Brian to rehab for his substance abuse. Part of the treatment is counseling, and from the start, it doesn't go well.
7: When Brian went to a a rehab facility, he didn't really like it, he didn't really get much out of it.
0: Given Brian's personality, Brian would just continue to rebel in rehab. He didn't want to be there to begin with. As far as he was concerned, he was just being imprisoned. So now he is all
6: primed with hate.
7: Then he met somebody who had a philosophy that felt right to him.
6: In a place designed to set him on the straight and narrow, Brian meets a man who does just the opposite.
10: Brian and and the guy he met in rehab had two things in common. They, They both felt alienated by the world, and they were filled with rage.
0: Suddenly, he finds himself in a situation where somebody is talking to him I used to feel lost and alienated. And for the first time in his life, listening to him.
10: Allow me to see straight, see the light.
0: And this individual starts to talk about white supremacist
6: beliefs. Fed up with the strict religious focus of his life thus far, Brian is eager to listen to a new voice and consider a new way of thinking.
7: This. Guy was part of the skinhead movement. He talked with Brian about how that was like a a real family.
1: It was in rehab. I met a skinhead there who showed me the problems with drugs. After getting off of drugs, I spent a lot of time thinking about life. I
11: had a clear mind for the first time. At the core of their beliefs is the idea of the inferiority of non-Aryan people specifically people who were Jews, who they considered the seed of the devil. They believed that the government needed to be replaced, that the country had to be purged, and that they would uh, need to take matters in their own hand to achieve this objective. Once the two of them get out of rehab, Brian's new friend invites
6: him to meet his extended family of brothers.
7: Like any religion that wants converts, the Aryan nations understood that The way you do that was not to look ridiculous, but to look welcoming, to make them feel comfortable.
10: They didn't chant, kill the Jews or anything like that. It was, in fact, they they were more clever than that. They used the Old Testament, scriptures that these teenagers were already familiar with. Cain was very wrong. But they reinterpreted them to fit their evil needs. They said that white people were descendants of Abel. As all other races were descendants of Cain and were beasts of the field.
11: They believed Anglo-Saxons were the chosen people, that their descendants were the people who were called upon to carry out uh, biblical prophecy. The powerful biblical language is
6: familiar to the brothers.
7: It would feel right to Brian, having been raised in a religion that set him apart, but this set him apart in all the ways that he wanted to be set apart.
11: They felt empowered. They felt that they had found their family. They found they found their call. Perhaps more important than
6: scripture is the feeling of family.
7: David and Brian are going and hanging out at this farm. They're talking to people who seem to really understand them.
10: They called each other brother. They had a family structure. and. They channeled all of that anxiety and fear and anger by preaching an us versus them mentality. You wanna be in an army, we're an army. The skinheads also give the Freeman brothers a sense
6: of purpose and a taste of danger.
7: It was a new, exotic world. You can be much more angry. I mean, you, you deserve everything you want. You're everything that's the best of the human race, and one day you'll inherit it all. Oh, my God, who doesn't want to hear that? They were ready.
6: These new beliefs are in staunch opposition to the ones they grew up with.
0: The Jehovah's Witnesses religion does not preach violence. If anything, they preach
7: peace. Jehovah's Witnesses don't want their members to be in the military, they don't want them taking part in those kinds of violent confrontations.
6: Now that the brothers have fully forsaken
8: the religion of their youth, there's only one step left in their transformation to skinheads. Brian wore suits in middle school, and about two years later, he had a shaved head. There was a very distinct transition. They're wearing the black boots, they're wearing black
10: coats, they got the heads shaved, and of course they're huge.
7: They would dress alike, they both got the tattoos. They had such a fused sense of identity that they really needed each other. When Brian becomes his skinhead, which is also quite dominant, he really becomes the leader of this group. What he says goes, and David will naturally follow.
6: The teens quickly
8: develop a fearsome reputation. They weren't people you're were gonna mess with. There's no question that they were intimidating.
10: The Freemans are already trained as evangelists so it's only a, the, a small switch to to teach them how to recruit new members into the skinheads so they're going around school now and they're handing out pamphlets and with racist slogans on them trying to get like-minded people to join them
7: they did develop a little following of people who thought they were pretty cool and look to their leadership. This is a small group, but that made them feel even more powerful.
10: They're recruiting new members to the fold. And first and foremost of of them would be their cousin, Benny.
7: Benny Birdwell was the Freeman Brothers' cousin. Whatever they were gonna do, he was gonna do.
6: The Freeman Brothers and their cousin, Benny, want to do more than just look the part. They want to start a war. I have chosen a career very
1: different from mainstream thinking. I plan to be a soldier, not in any army or for any country, but rather a soldier in the final war where the white race will rise above the Jewish oppression and conquer the world.
6: At home, Brenda and Dennis are horrified by their skinhead son's racist beliefs. Racism and violence have no place in their Jehovah's Witness faith. And they do everything they can to get through to Brian and David and bring them back into the fold.
7: I think it's a household full of tension. My sense of Dennis is that he felt kind of helpless against it, whereas Brenda was basically saying, you know what, I'll take anything I can get. Please somebody, I need something.
0: Brenda was absolutely desperate. She tried various social service agencies within Lehigh County, to see if there was something they could do to help with her sons.
10: Brenda got Brian and David to attend an anti-skinhead meeting being held by the local police, but the boys predictably treated it as a joke.
6: As the months pass, the Freeman house spins totally out of control.
10: The more the parents tried to help their out-of-control teens, the more Brian and David saw them as the enemy.
7: As the power struggle escalated between the Freeman brothers and their parents, they made a lot of threats.
1: You called the cops on me. Of course. You called the cops on your son.
10: Once the police had to pull the boys off of their mother, they were attacking her with a hatchet. Police were called and they got the boys
9: off of her, but she refused to press charges against her sons.
10: She was absolutely determined that she was going to solve this within the family and within her church.
7: That's one reason domestic violence is so cyclical, is that people believe and hope and are firmly convinced that they can keep it under control. I think it's the same thing in Brenda's situation.
6: Try as they might to keep the faith, Brenda and Dennis Freeman can't deny their fear of their own
10: sons. Dennis slept with a baseball bat next to his bed. There was a padlock on the parents' door. For a time, their Aunt Valerie was living with them, but she was advised to move out because it just wasn't safe to be there anymore. Brenda calls the local branch of the Anti Defamation League, a hate
11: and discrimination watchdog group. I spoke with Brenda Freeman by phone. I remember distinctly she was remarkably cool, collected. She felt that her sons were progressively getting worse. She wanted to try to stem this trend in in their lives. I did recognize a woman who needed help. Though cool
6: on the outside, on the inside, Brenda is desperate. She's never asked for help outside of her congregation before.
7: Brenda has to be not just scared, but wondering how could this have happened? Where did we go wrong? We did the things we were supposed to do as parents within our religion. And this is what we get?
11: I'm a parent. I have my own children. And I can understand how much she must have struggled, how difficult it was, how hard to deal with children who were rebelling, whom she loved dearly. It's just terrible. I couldn't help but want to help her. But we're not in the business of providing counseling and we're not a law enforcement agency. I then told her I would make a referral. I reached somebody in the area to offer assistance. As
6: Brenda hangs up the phone, the clock continues to tick. Time is running out and it may be too late to save her increasingly out of control sons.
10: On their own, the Freeman brothers bought a junker car and they would spend hours out there tinkering with the car, glowering at their parents. The car didn't run, sat in the driveway, and it was a symbol,
0: in a sense, of their rebellion because what they would do is they would go outside and smoke cigarettes in the car.
7: It's very clear there's a power struggle. This is no longer about a loving family trying to embrace the black sheep. Somebody needs to assert authority here and bring these two in line.
6: For Brenda, the car becomes a
10: means to reassert her authority over her own family. Just days before David's 16th birthday, when he would legally be able to drive, Brenda sells the junker car while the boys are sleeping.
9: When the boys woke up in the morning, they were outraged.
7: Where's the car? Did you move it? Not Where's our Their car? Their parents sold it you out from no under them. So they're angry. Now they have a very focused anger.
12: Mom, if I had been out here when you took our car, I would have killed you right here.
6: The boys must now rely on their cousin and fellow skinhead, Benny. If they want to go anywhere, the school bus won't take them. But Brian and David won't let their mother's actions go unanswered.
10: In response to the junker being sold, the boys go out and they have their foreheads tattooed. David has Sieg Heil, allegiance to the Fuhrer tattooed on his forehead. Brian has Berserker put on his forehead. This was a symbol
0: of the hatred that they had for their parents and their brother, the people they felt had pushed them to the point of no
6: return. It's Sunday night, and Brian, David, and their cousin, Benny can't wait to get out of the house
10: for a few hours. Brian, David, and Benny go out in Benny's car. They go to a movie, and they stop at a fast food restaurant.
0: At this point, it's about 11 o'clock at night. So now, they come back to the house.
9: Brenda Freeman had an 11 PM curfew for the boys. The boys still wanted to go
10: out late that night. Their plan was to be home at 11 briefly while she checked, and then to sneak back out and go drinking with some friends. The night doesn't quite go according to plan.
7: Brenda comes down. They're down in the basement. They're kind of defying her curfew. She comes down and tells Benny to leave. That it's school night, time to go.
0: Ben goes out the front door. Okay, now she goes back upstairs. So Ben comes back through the bathroom window.
7: She hears him. That's got to be annoying to her. She comes back down.
0: This occurs about three different times. And each time, she says to Ben, get the heck out of here. And Ben leaves and comes back. And all three of them are just laughing about this thing.
10: After the third time, she hears Benny down there again. She comes storming down the stairs. And this is a war of wills that she is now determined to win.
7: This is going to be a real confrontation now. She's trying out this tough love idea because she doesn't know what else to do. She doesn't like the way they're constantly defying her and doing what they want. So she's going to take a stand.
6: Brenda Freeman has no idea this will be her last walk down the staircase. She blows her top, and she
0: begins to berate her son Brian.
2: You started all of this. You brought
0: this. She argues with him. Voices are raised.
7: This is a point at which Brian reacts. He's already angry from the car sale a few weeks earlier. He's already attacked her before. He's got a knife in his room. This is it, the end.
10: Brian grabs his knife and does the unthinkable. Stabs her once, she starts to scream. So he stuffs a pair of shorts in her mouth and continues to stab her. And now, all of that resentment
0: that has been built up for many years, all of that hatred toward his
6: mom, and he's stabbing her. And she goes down in a pool of blood. One vicious attack has ended, and another is about to
10: begin. Brian turns to his brother and his cousin, and he says,
1: You know what to do. Don't wuss out on me now.
10: Ben
0: goes upstairs with David. Ben and David enter the bedroom of Dennis, where Dennis is asleep by himself. And at this point, David is carrying a baseball bat. Ben is carrying
9: a pickaxe handle. David Freeman takes a baseball bat and bashes his dad in the head several times crushing his skull.
0: And they hit him so hard that the blood spurts out of his body and goes up to the ceiling. After they bludgeon Dennis to death, Eric gets the same thing.
6: The Freeman family has been murdered in cold blood as though they were strangers.
7: They're not their parents. They're other people. These are strangers to them. So in a way, they're able to objectify them, make them the enemy, make them different. They already felt like, we're not part of this family. The skinheads are a real family.
6: After taking a moment to absorb this ghastly liberation, the three boys realize they must get out of the house.
0: Brian, David, and Ben grabbed a couple of things and exited the house and got into their father's
10: car and left. Now they have a car, an open road, and a
11: will to kill. I uh, tried to reach Brenda Friedman Monday morning. My immediate intention after speaking with her the first time was to try to get her help. I kept calling, and I was disturbed to not be able to reach her. I was not getting an answer, because it turned out that she was dead. In retrospect, knowing what I now know, I would have certainly taken a different approach to that initial conversation with her. I didn't know that I didn't have the benefit of time.
6: Later that day, Valerie Freeman discovers the bodies, the police are called, and news of the triple murder hits hard across the Lehigh Valley.
12: When the Freeman brothers committed the murder, when that murder happened, it spread like wildfire. There wasn't a news outlet that wasn't reporting it.
10: When news of the murders became public, there was near panic in in Salisbury Township. People there had been fearing these guys for a long time, and now the the lid had blown off. In this quiet part of the world, such violence
8: is virtually unheard of. Living in Salisbury, um, I was 15 at the time. I don't remember hearing about a murder in Salisbury, and certainly not murders that were committed by students of the same age.
12: I learned that the Freeman brothers killed their younger brother, Eric, who was 11, the same age that I was at the time of the crime. I remember that uh, that really hit home. It was something that just doesn't happen in Leah Valley. The
6: local high school is on full
8: alert and filled with terror. There were a lot of rumors that they were still in the area, that they were coming back to seek revenge on people in the school. The first class I attended on Monday morning, I remember our classroom door being locked um, just out of fear that they may return.
10: The Freeman Brothers High School is filled with people who had, had disputes with these guys. Every teacher who'd had a fight with these kids, every student who'd been picked on, had to think, I'm next. Strangely,
6: a few teenagers actually have a very different reaction to the Freemans.
7: When you have a violent incident in, in a sort of tight area. And I think the Lehigh Valley is, is a pretty cohesive area. You get a sort of contagion effect.
12: There's an explosion of copycats, people wearing all black, shaving their heads, mostly for attention, but you know, who knows? Whether or not they were actually skinheads or not, any one of them could be capable of murder. But the real criminals
6: are still at large. Over 670 miles away, Brian, David, and Benny check into a motel in Midland, Michigan. They're about to make their first mistake. It's about two in the morning,
9: and they pay with one dollar bills and five dollar bills, which makes the clerk suspicious. She thinks that they just robbed somebody. She calls police.
0: The cops come, knocking the door. Boys, open up the door. There's no drugs. There's no nothing. They're not doing anything illegal.
9: By this point, there's no arrest warrant in Pennsylvania. And Michigan police do not know anything about what had just happened in Salisbury Township. The local
6: cops in Michigan don't know the boys are
0: wanted, so they let
6: them go. The Freeman boys and Benny escape their first brush with police without
10: incident. Later on, the police would realize just how close they'd come to three killers. A matter of hours later, an all-point bulletin for the three goes out both on uh, police radio and on AM radio. And a truck driver in Michigan hears it and happens to see the car in the parking lot of the motel and uh, calls the police. Pennsylvania authorities, along with FBI agents,
6: rush to the motel, but the boys have vanished. After two near misses, authorities finally get a lucky break. Police
9: trace a call that was placed at the motel room where the boys were staying to a house nearby, about 20 miles away. The house belongs to a known skinhead in the area.
0: SWAT teams surround the house and they arrest the three boys
6: plus the friend that they're staying with. The Freeman brothers and Benny are extradited to Pennsylvania, and it seems like the danger has finally passed.
12: I was curious as to what these individuals looked like because I was expecting the devil, I was expecting pure evil. When I saw them, it was just it was just three kids just like me.
6: Sadly, their arrest leaves residents of the Lehigh Valley with a false sense of security.
12: After they were arrested, there was a feeling of calm. There was a feeling of relief that things can go back to normal, that the streets were safe once again.
6: But their arrest doesn't bring everyone peace. A teenage male sits at his family's dining room table. He is waiting for someone.
10: Jeffrey Haworth was a typical high school kid. He lived about 10 miles away from the Freemans. He was a junior in high school, swam on the swim team, worked as a custodian at a church, and didn't raise a ripple of interest in his life. Absolutely normal. He's sitting in his kitchen table, and he waited for his mother to
6: come home. Jeff has been methodically loading his 22 caliber rifle. Late that afternoon, his mother arrives home from work.
9: Before she could take off her coat, he unloaded the rifle on her,
10: firing nine shots and killing his mother. And then he waited some more. And when Dad came home, he would put five more bullets into him. After Jeffrey Haworth killed his parents, he wrote a note. He said, uh, I told you I would do it. You can't say I didn't warn you. I want a TV movie to be made about me after I kill everyone. Then Jeffrey takes the family car and drives
6: west.
7: This is a kid who had an undiagnosed mental illness that was just going through life, what we might call ambulatory. He felt pressure in his own life in a way that nobody really knew.
6: He's arrested without incident
10: two days later outside of St. Louis, Missouri. When the police searched Jeffrey Haworth's house, they found long rambling letters that he'd written expressing his admiration for the Freeman brothers.
7: Jeff Haworth watched the news reports when the violence happened so close to home, I think about nine miles from his house, it was something he'd already been thinking about. It was part of his probably everyday thinking.
6: This double murder is less of an imitation and more of a virus.
7: I wouldn't see this as a copycat. I see it more as a contagion, where you're close in proximity geographically. A kid's already thinking about doing this. Some other kids do it, so he explodes.
6: A bewildered Lehigh Valley tries to make sense of the two crimes and connect the dots.
10: The thing the Freeman brothers and Jeff Haworth had in common was that they were confused teenagers who were in their own bizarre way trying to fit in. But that's where the similarities end.
6: Jeff Holworth and the Freeman brothers are very different murderers. Jeff Howorth was
9: very ordinary-looking. People say he looked just like any other kid in school, whereas the Freemans stood out anywhere they went. The Freemans were racist, and Jeff didn't believe in that. He actually had a poster in his room that said an anti-racist slogan.
7: For the Freemans, it was... Reactive. it was the, the result of, of sort of hot-blooded anger and, and revenge and whatnot, whereas with Jeff, it's so cold and calculated. I'm gonna do this too, and I wanna be famous for it. I see it more as a contagion.
6: Just a few miles down the road from Jeff Haworth's house, Brian, David, and Benny are still sitting in jail, awaiting trial. And after a few months, the boys begin talking to the police.
0: All three boys wind up talking to police and giving statements. But they
10: differ in detail who did what and when. The battle lines are quickly drawn. Benny claimed that he didn't participate in any of the killings, that he was a follower.
9: I swear, I didn't do it I didn't
10: that he really didn't understand what was going on, and that he went along with the brothers because he was afraid for his own life.
9: Benny insisted he took no part in the murders.
7: I think when they did find out that Benny had kind of separated himself from them, now they really are brothers. It's us against him.
6: Despite the evidence, no one has yet pled guilty, but someone is about to make a shocking admission. Mr. Freeman, you are charged in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania with the crime of three counts of criminal homicide and one count of conspiracy to commit criminal homicide.
0: Brian decides to sign an agreement saying that he killed his mother so that he can avoid the death penalty. The deal is, I confess, I killed my mother, and
6: in return the state gives him life in prison. The deal lets him avoid testifying against his brother and cousin, but there's no hint of regret in his statement. As always, David follows in his brother's footsteps.
10: David, taking his brother's lead as he always did, then confesses to killing his father. He's also given life in prison.
7: David has been a natural follower his whole life. So the fact that they're brothers means they have years of this dynamic entrenched.
0: It's a reflection of how he would follow his brother literally and figuratively to the gates of hell. And that's
6: exactly what he did. Despite the Freeman brothers' Nazi rhetoric and harassment of their family, it's difficult to know exactly why they took the extraordinary leap to murder their entire family.
11: This certainly is a cautionary tale, to put it mildly. And it's a wake-up call at the same time. We cannot afford to let these kinds of things happen.
7: They're confused kids. Despite their very adult crime, they're confused kids. They're both very infantile and self-centered. So they're narcissistic. And so once you have that kind of development early, in the early stages of adolescence, you're primed for someone to come along who becomes your new family. And it's not necessarily about blood that makes you a family, it's about a belief system.
0: I don't think that the Freeman brothers started out as killers, and I don't believe that they're sociopaths. I think that what occurred was that we had a perfect storm.
5: In April of 1996, Benny was convicted of murdering his uncle Dennis Freeman and sentenced to life in prison. Brian and David Freeman are currently serving life sentences at separate prison facilities in Pennsylvania. In the summer of 1995, Jeff Howorth was found not guilty for reason of insanity and sent to Norristown State Hospital.